Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. Um, I hope you're doing well. Hope wherever you are listening to this, you're having a all right time with this funny old life that we're all living. Oh, um, you're starting off all poetic, aren't oh, you? Yeah, it's a funny old life. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have given you that fortune cookie. It's quite changed you. <laughs> the um, I'll tell you what. I'm very quickly because you've got a book as well. So before we introduce our guest, I want to say my new favourite thing is this book. It's called A Short History of Decay by E.M. Charon. You've mentioned this before. The uh, But I've only, I hadn't read it before. That wasn't an insult. That was No, like, no, no. Oh, I had, I've up. actually read it now. And it's this brilliant, uh, I, I, I did a thing about it the other day and I couldn't get hold of the book. And then I realised I couldn't pronounce the author's name. And that makes it even harder. You're going, I'm looking for a book called A Short History of Clay by E.M. I can spell it. Um, and it is just a great bit of um, kind of joyfully pessimistic misery philosophy all of these covers in the other range of the book are amazing well there's lots of intro most of the other ones are 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 novels but if i can just i'll just grab it off you and just this gives you an idea of the kind of contents of a short history of decay uh here are the directions for decomposition which is basically a list of of the contents which are genealogy for fanaticism the anti-profit in the graveyard a definition civilization and frivolity dissolving into god variations on death magnificent futility exegesis of failure i like the one earlier on that's the celestial dog yeah it's just... Do you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of my friend john hodgman wrote this really brilliant miscellany 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 uh he wrote a few of them called like all well called like the areas of my expertise and then more areas of my expertise and he wrote 650 names of hobos that oh, he invented wow. and it's similar to that it sort of feels as well th- this is just it's it's not a long book it's it's still available i think now from, from penguin and uh, and then the final uh chapters are everyday curse defense of corruption the obsolete universe decrepit man um and this is just the opening line uh or opening paragraph in itself every idea is neutral or should be but man animates ideas projects his flames and flaws into them impure transformed into beliefs ideas take their place in time take shape as events the trajectory is complete from logic to epilepsy whence the birth of ideologies doctrines deadly games idolaters by instinct we convert the objects of our dreams and our interests into the unconditional history is nothing but a procession of false absolutes a series of temples raised to pretext a degradation of the mind before the improbable that makes me want to read my E-M. but that makes me want to read my Howard Zinn quote that's like to be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic it is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty but also of compassion sacrifice courage and kindness what we choose to emphasize in this complex history would determine our lives if we see only the worst it destroys our capacity to do something if we remember those times and places and there are many so many where people have behaved magnificently this gives us the energy to act and at least the possibility of sending this spirit top of a world in a different direction and if we do act in however small a way we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future the future is an infinite succession of presents and to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is in itself a marvelous victory right and continuing this uh charon versus zinoff forever be a curse the star under which i was born may no sky protect it let it crumble in space like dust without honor and let the traitorous moment that cast me among the creatures be forever a raised from the lists of time. 
And I'd like to read from Hope in the Dark by Rebecca ah, Solnit. she'd have something optimistic. Hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act. Hope, re- when you recognise uncertainty, you recognise that you may be able to influence the outcomes. You alone or in concert with a few dozen or several million others, hope is an embrace of the unknown and the unknowable, an alternative to the certainty of both optimists and pessimists. Optimists think it will all be fine without our involvement. Pessimists take the opposite position. Both excuse themselves from acting. It's the belief that what we do matters, even though how and when it may matter, who and what it may impact are not things we can know beforehand. Robin, I really... Right, OK, hang on. Our fate being to rot with the... Co- hang on a minute, we should introduce really our guest. Uh, so we have with us uh, a, 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 an author again, which is fantastic. And, uh, uh, d- well, we're joined by Evie Wilde. Hello. Hello, Evie Wilde. <laughs> so what is exciting is you have no books with you. We I don't know. know what you're going to recommend. I know. Um, I didn't know. I was supposed to recommend something. Oh, I my will. God. I left Josie in charge of one guest. That's one guest. I'm so terrible at booking guests. And I was so excited that you could do it that I was like, that's in the bag. I've oh never God. let her. Well, I've let her. I've said, would you like to book someone? She went, I am very busy creating my own things. No, that's not true. Well, I'm, we're really But excited. I can do it. I've, I've just bought a book actually what that I'm really enjoying. Talk to people about books of influence and also how you like, and, and, and their writing as well. Yeah. With with your work, you've written two novels now, haven't you? Yes, I have. And when did you? Is is there a point where did you always want to be? Because I, I, I think for most of the people that I kind of know from quite an early age, you know that in some way you want to create, whether it is as a stand-up, or whether you want to be an actor, whether you want to be a journalist, whether you want to be a novelist. So w- was there a book? Was there anything where you thought, right? Now I I know what I want to do. I think well I always wanted to be a painter when I was younger. I was really crap. Um, I sort of did loads of those awful like teenage self portraits of just like Amazing. you know me in a hat. Me and who was sad. You, what painters did you like? Who did you think you were going to be? Uh, I really liked Paul Arago and Sarah Raphael and kind of quite um, painters who had a lot of story in their in their stuff um but I just couldn't handle paint at all I was just rubbish and it's really awkward because both my parents are in the art world my mum's an amazing um draftsman and and so she'd be you know where normally you know you stick your kids artwork up on the fridge and she'd be like Hmm. <laughs> Why don't we put it in the fridge to yeah. keep it fresh? She <laughs> just found... under these cucumbers. She this found my A level folder the other day and she was like clearing out the attic and she said, Do you want any of this? And I said, Is any of it any good? And she went, Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it it's lovely like... to know that there's still that battle between parent and child? And also, in terms of the great nature-nurture debate uh, about whether it's uh, genes or whether it's culture, mm-hmm. then obviously we found out that in terms of painting... Yeah. yeah. Not so Probably not genetic. <laughs> you tried your yeah. hardest to fulfil their genetic exactly. promise. But my mum's a French teacher, mm-hmm. and she gets so... Well, she used to be. She gets so frustrated that I'm not fluent in French. Oh, really? Because she just assumes that it's some magic... I How do you pronounce that. croissant? Because uh, I can't do it. Croissant? You do. Yeah, that's but I don't fine. really go for it. I don't go like I get really embarrassed by over-pronouncing it. I feel like I, okay, I can't you... do it. I can say, it, I call it a quaz or it's a croissant. A quaz. <laughs> I love a quaz. I, I've got obsessed with drinking Pinot Grigio since I became in my mid-30s. So now I'd be like, I'll have a quaz and a Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Mum's holiday breakfast. Look at sophisticated Josie. Dunking her quaz. <laughs> oh no, the bloody dough's shoddy. In it. It's all dropped to the bottom of the glass as she tries to shovel it out with her hands, now covered in crumbs and Pinot Grigio and wasps. Quaz crumbs in the Pinot Grigio is a great name for an autobiography. <laughs> How do you pronounce uh, Chirito? 
I don't. I just... I hate... Pronounced... Well, you wouldn't pronounce it, would you? Because, of course, you've been a very long-time vegetarian now. <laughs> this, is, this is your second day It's my second day of being a vegetarian, but I'm only being vegetarian Monday to Friday at the moment. <laughs> but it's my second day. Well, it's technically my fourth day. It's like the 5-2 meat. He's 5-2 meat. Yeah. That's my new... <laughs> that's my lifestyle book. It's called 5-2 meat, have a salad for your lunch, put on a necklace. <laughs> bosh, bosh, bosh. <laughs> Um, so you've, you thought you were going to be a portrait painter. Mm-hmm. At what point? And do you still paint now? or do you... No, it sort of takes up too much time. I mean, like I've I found after a few years that I was so rubbish at it. Because I went to art school. Um, did you? And Where that did you was, go? I went to So Bath. you're not rubbish. Yeah. If you were rubbish, you would have got to art school. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, they were quite... Um, they were quite free and easy about who they let in, I think. Um, which is not to say they're not a brilliant art school. But um, it was Bath Spa. And the sort of the reason I chose the course was there were no exams. Um, That's what I should have done. I'm I'm so terrible at exams and I never learn. can't do them. No, there's no way of me passing an exam ever. And I always (laughs) think to myself, no, this time we're really going to knuckle under and we won't have a panic attack for the whole three hours. (laughs) See, I think I was the opposite. It's been a very, very long time ago since I did those things. But uh, no, never properly did uh, coursework. But my brain when suddenly faced with an exam paper goes, hmm, I think there's a lot of bullshit in here that I can... <laughs> and that's why I always, why are his hands up already? More paper, more paper! Like, like basically right, answering every question, like uh, discuss Shakespeare and women as if I was L. Ron Hubbard oh, right. writing for Astounding but, Stories. Hammer, 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 hammer. That's, I mean, it is documented that like young girls do better at coursework and young boys do better at exams. And that's one of the most galling things about Michael Gove changing it back to exams at the end. It's like he's gone... I think men deserve a little crack at this. <laughs> so you, you were at art school. I was at art school and I basically kind of looked around me and saw that all of these friends I'd made were so much better at me than painting that I'd kind of gone, you know, big fish in a small pond to, you know, normal fish in a normal pond. And um, and it just, I just thought, this is just really embarrassing. That's <laughs> but, quite a horrible but experience. Luckily, well, actually, it was really... Um, it turned out to be really releasing because part of the course I did, which is called Creative Arts, and it was like you could do dance or creative writing or photography as well as... Oh, as wow. Yeah, it was really nice. And, um, and so I was doing creative writing. And I was like, oh, I'm better at this. And then that was like... And when you found it, did it feel really sort of like slotting into place or like finding it felt like the um the satisfaction i got from doing paintings occasionally i got through writing stories and the the end result was a lot better um but i i in no way kind of imagined being published not really up until an agent contacted me after my ma it was just like so how did that work then so did you send anything or no i um i was working at the stroke association after my BA, it was very exciting. I was a librarian, and um, and I saw it was a really nice job, but one that you feel like if I don't leave, I'm going to be here forever because sure. they're nice and you know. There is something really uh, that librarians are when we've put on shows. Sometimes we always have amongst the concessions uh, prices, uh, you know, unemployed and uh, uh, pension and stuff is librarian. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There was a piece, I think, in, was it in The Guardian the other day about celebrating the school librarians? Yeah, they're because un- it's underestimated. Really yeah. And they, well, like, when I was at school, 
when I was a teenager at school, I couldn't really go home to do my homework for sort of various reasons. And the librarian was so dear to me. Like, she would mm-hmm. stay in late so that I could sit and do my homework in the library and stuff like that. Like, it was really cool. Yeah, no, it is. I've got a friend who's a school librarian um, at Sedge Hill, which is, like, southeast yeah. London. Um, and he's brilliant. He puts on, like, a, a festival every year and he gets good people in. And, I don't know, he really puts a lot of work into it. And it's like, I don't know, looking at him um, and how the kids react to him. Yeah. Um, All that added value. Yeah. It's just like you want to go there after school. You want to, you know, it's brilliant. So you were, so this uh, this agent got in contact? She, I was doing a, um, I did an MA in creative writing um, at Goldsmiths. And the reason I did that was really to get out of, I needed a reason to leave my job. So, um also, I like the fact that the places you've studied are quite, like, liberal arts, bohemian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but so I was just sort of pootling along doing that, thinking if I got better at expressing myself on paper, because um, I was very shy and not very good at expressing myself verbally, I just thought maybe that would be a better way of getting a better job. Um, oh. And um, and then I had a short story published online, and an agent got in touch and said ever thought about writing a novel and I lied and said absolutely <laughs> just in the pipe um, <laughs> and then finished the MA and wrote a book and worked wow. <laughs> that's a very wow. important thing isn't it actually which is to always if anyone says have you ever thought about or I had that when I was uh, coming it was like one in the morning and I was I was walking back to my dad's house like long country road and someone from America who I know rang me and said um, have you got any sitcoms at the moment I went yeah 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 yeah. I've got a sitcom about and as I just thought yeah I can come up with what my sitcom's about can you get us a treatment I would imagine I can yes it's so funny when I was younger I was very lucky uh, you know with my first show I sort of got a lot of opportunities that I just didn't really understand so then you'd be sat there and people would say have you ever thought about this and I'd be like not really I think I might in a few years you know but I can just see now people being like who is this idiot like, what's that thing Daisy Campbell talked about it's something that, that uh, both she and 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 her dad Ken Campbell used as well which is that technique of basically always saying yes is that mm. bit of just going right well when I say that by the way I'm talking specifically about art <laughs> also know you can say no to lots of other things I'm talking about creativity <laughs> Oh god, this goes out of context. This, this is the worst hashtag Ferrari I've accidentally created yet again. But that that bit of just going, well, I'll give it a go, and then sometimes you do go, oh no, the, I, it's not in there at the moment. Yeah. I can't create that thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I think that's really important. Saying no is really, really tough, though. I think because starting out with my first book, I said yes to every single event and whatever, however small and wherever it was. Yeah, and. Um, and now I've got a kid and that takes up a lot of time and you have to kind of scale down a bit, but it's still so hard to just, you know. Yeah. And it's also really hard to learn how to say no and not feel too bad about it. Like if somebody's yeah. really taking the piss out of you and being like, can you come to Thurso for £20 <laughs> to compare someone else's event? You know, you're allowed to go... No. It is impossible for me to do that. I apologise. <laughs> do not contact me again. <laughs> you know, you don't have to go like, this is the best opportunity I've ever had in my life. Like, sometimes people are genuinely taking the piss. Yeah. Though, can I just mention, because I want to make sure this is actually recorded as well, that in terms of freebie gigs, I would highly recommend you do the Nunhead Women's Institute gig. I did recommend you, Josie, by oh, the way, the to. other day. Well, They're also, really good. Have you I, done any Women's Institute gigs? No, I haven't. I haven't. It's fantastic. I just, you know that I bit where you go um, uh, and you just think, I think it was in the old Queen's Head, yeah. and you just go, wow! 
everyone is here going, we're going to do stuff in the area, we're going to create things, we're going to do things. Yeah. Yeah. And just everyone, you know, real broad mix of women there. That's around the corner from you as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'd just like to uh, so a quick shout out to uh, <laughs> shout out to uh, I can do it. Uh, shout out to the ladies of the Women's Institute. You ruined the link by saying the ladies of the Women's Institute. Oh dear. But I, you know, as a practitioner who tries to divorce capitalism from their art, and obviously is it's impossible, it's very difficult. But well, actually, hang on, you that, that you did that show about divorcing capitalism uh, from your art, and that's available from uh, the Soho <laughs> Theatre uh, site. Isn't it? Please purchase. <laughs> um, no, but I'm I I've tried in the past few years if I'm ever in a position where I'm l- l- lucky enough to pay my rent not to think about money and how I make my decisions so obviously if somebody asks me to do something for free and they seem really cool I'll do it yeah. or for an insulting amount of money of course I'll do it yeah. but it's just funny you know sometimes people you can just feel that it's not something you'd want to do in the telecast. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Quite often I get asked to do a lot of book groups, um, which I've Well, like guest at someone's book group. Yeah, which is really uncomfortable because like I've I've done it a few times. And I, you well, know, it's like doing I mean, someone's birthday or something. Well, it's, it is if they sort of want to feel comfortable with slagging you off while you're there. <laughs> Has that happened? Oh, yeah. Okay. Hang on, so I mean, please tell me the story of this. What happened? Well, it, I mean, you kind of go to... I won't say which one it was, but I've, um, <laughs> I've been to... I've been to lots because I feel like, you know, they're readers and that it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's and, and book groups, you know, keep you going as an author. They buy, you know, if it's a large group, they buy 20 copies of the book. That's brilliant. Um, but, you you know, the point of a book group is you're supposed to discuss it and say what you feel about it. And I absolutely think that's great. But it is very uncomfortable when you're sat there and you have someone going. I mean, I just didn't like it. I couldn't get more than 20 pages in. Um, and then they look you in the eye and they expect you to go, oh, that's because I'm crap, sorry. <laughs> See, it should be like, in the old TV series, Jukebox Jury, mm-hmm. which existed in the 60s and then again in the 80s, I think, with Mike mm-hmm. Reed, which uh, had uh, great, I, I think, what was it, the uh, great joke by uh, when they showed a Roachford video and Jerry Sadovitz was on. Mm-hmm. He said the only reason that Roachford made that video was uh, so that um, deaf people could hate him too. <laughs> and um, But they used to have on Jukebox Jury the bit where Everyone goes, oh, a terrible single. I have to admit, I, I don't know where they think this is this is going to go, but I think one of the worst. Well, we got a bit of a surprise for you because, and they would then come out. So that would be a better way of doing it. I mean, this is probably uh, one of the worst books. I I couldn't even get three pages in, and then I just started ripping the pages out and actually eating them and digesting them because I thought it'd be better to turn them into human excrement. Anyway, she's joined with us, just hiding in the kitchen. She missed the whole conversation. Leave me wild. That happened to me on a TV panel show where you had to do awards and then we had to give out an award for the most annoying children's cartoon character, children's character. And I was really slagging off the Y-bird because I hated the yeah, Y-bird. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it was this bird. <laughs> She'd be like, why, why? I hated her. Was I, she I, on I, the play bus? Yes, fucking hated her. <laughs> Couldn't bear it. And I was really going to town because the producers were like, please go to town. So I was like, I hate the voice. The woman who makes it should be ashamed of herself. Obviously, the woman was in the audience with the bird. Everyone laughs, and I felt awful. <laughs> Excellent. She gave me a little signed postcard at the end. She was so nice oh, and so God. gracious about it. And I just felt like a monster. So and nice. I felt like I'd been egged on by bullies. <laughs> Never forgive myself. I was like, God, how funny. Go and do put groups with people. And do you, do you find it easy to be gracious in those things? Yeah, I, I've, I've never sort of like 
frumped out in a kind of hissy fit. But um, well, I expect you do get a lot more compliments than that. Yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky. It's gone fairly smoothly so far, and that means that there's you know a big drop off on its way. I'm sure, but um, you know, I had my my worst ever question wasn't in a book group. It was in a quite intimate group of students, and uh, and they'd obviously all been made to read the book and come in and sit there on a hot day and watch me blather on and um also it's such a privilege to have the order of the book it's so funny that they wouldn't appreciate that at all but I think there's a if you I I'm totally I totally believe that you know it's fine for people to hate my stuff I I feel quite confident about that it's like it's not for everyone because if it was for everyone you'd be kind of doing middle of the road sort of safe stuff so um quite a lot of people say oh it's it's sort of a bit gross <laughs> so what can you give us an example just because i have to apologize i haven't read either of your books uh, yet yet <laughs> i just someone told me that they couldn't get past the first 20 pages and that was that um <laughs> no i but what was what, what do you feel are the the elements of your book which or your books where people who are just part of a book group who may well be reading stuff that's a lot more mainstream or whatever it might be that that will be the impasse for them i think it's the structures um the i do a funny thing with structure which sounds like a mathematical equation and really i'm very bad at explaining it so the in my second book all the birds singing um there's the now which happens over the space of about a month um and that moves forward in time and then there's um, the main character's sort of life up until now, which starts at her um, most recent memory and moves back towards her childhood. Um, so I was just sort of thinking about how how the nature of memory works and how if you're trying to wad something down, you kind of um, you kind of work around it so much. You have all these other memories you put over the top of it to try and um, wad it down and. Um, and so it means that it is quite confusing, um, which is which sounds like a bit of a cop out, but it is deliberate. <laughs> um, both you want my... things to be ambiguous. You want yeah. things to be interesting. I re- I'm a big believer in the fact that readers bring a lot to it, and if someone is willing to engage in it and be confused and accept that that's part of you know the world you've created, as long as they can get images in their head and and know that there is this space, they don't necessarily need to know exactly what's going on because life is confusing anyway i think i sort of feel like we've got um we've got to a point with with tv and stuff where we um a lot of storytelling feels like it has to be wrapped up with a nice little bow and everything's explained like ghost stories always seem to be you know there's some lovely logical explanation for why the ghost is kind of shrieking at you in the dark it's because it's trying to warn you of blah or because you're an evil blah um and i just i like it being open-ended and confusing because that for me is is my experience of life i suppose i'm a very confused person have you ever read any someone we've talked about with uh reese shearsmith and and i think probably with mark gates as well robert aikman Who's a who was a short story writer, predominantly short story writer, mm-hmm. uh, and would kind of be put in the horror genre. Right. But his stories are so fascinating because 
there there are at the end there's not some definite oh i yeah, see yeah. the angry monster was yeah. this or, oh good someone's either died or survived someone is always left with mm. this kind of well well a horrible or strange peculiar memory which will mean that they are discombobulated for the rest of their life Lovely. and i find those kind of stories and you can see why people sometimes don't like them because people do like there's a great film by john sales called limbo mm-hmm. with uh, chris christopherson amongst others did i mention by the way i went to see chris christopherson at union chapel wonderfully played the same song twice without realizing it but he's nearly <laughs> 80 it's fine very nice but the, also the... sometimes nice i had a, used to have a mixtape with more than words on twice so i could sing both the harmonies <laughs> that's a very good idea <laughs> more than words. Twice in a row. We're going to do a more than words special on this. Um, but the uh, it, it's a Limbo, a great film by John Sayles, who's a, who's a fascinating filmmaker because he kind of mixes making what was predominantly, I suppose, considered to be art house, and then script doctoring kind of Tarantino movies and mm-hmm. stuff. But the end of the film, it ends at a point where you basically don't know what you might say death or survival. You don't know the intention. Yeah. of the final scene oh, I and that. I remember leaving it was at the Edinburgh Film Festival leaving the cinema and half the people going well I just don't even know what that was and I, I and the other half going oh yeah. you know you're now given responsibility you ha- and, and you keep going no but you see I think he would have no but she would have mm. Mm, do you think so and I think that's a very yeah. brave thing because in the end you want there we go yeah. but this is, it's like when we were chatting with Jeff Dyer the other week about um you know, things being allowed to breathe and things not signposting and intentionally mm. so is to give you a different experience when you relate to that piece of art. Like, it's not just, I'm, here you go, I'm going to tell you a story and it's going yeah. to do this, this, yeah, this, yeah. this tune. We all know what's going to happen at the end. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's much more like, this is what this is. Yeah. How do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? I've, I find, like, quite a few authors I've spoken to talk about their ideal reader, which I find such an odd you know, they're like, oh, I really like the way the Spanish read my texts. And, oh, you know. wow. Well, I know. Um, and I find but that why such is that? A... Like, what, what do they mean? Because they, like they want exactly what they think to come across. Whereas right. I don't, I'm not interested in um, being didactic and, and sort of saying, you know, like, uh, so both my novels are partly set in Australia. Um, um, I'm half Australian, so I've kind of been out there a lot in small towns and um, and, you know, quite racist I think that's don't think that's a surprising thing to say and um and my family live in a little town and the like watching from I've been going there since I was a kid and and watching from a child's point of view how the indigenous people are treated Mm. um and then living most of my life in Peckham it's just been such an odd um it's been such an odd thing to watch and obviously we all know racism is bad so I don't feel the need to put you know to put my protagonist as a sort of hero who champions the aboriginal plight kind of thing because that's not my experience of how people how people behaved and to me it's more about reflecting something that you've seen or noticed it's not about saying Racism is bad, and so is homophobia, and um, that's what I think. So, what do you think about me? Like, and I think it's very easy for the author's voice to creep in when there's something they feel passionately about to to kind of, you know, to make sure that the reader knows just what sort of person, what sort of caliber they are. So, you feel like you're able to kind of hang back. I think that for me, that is the point of I don't want to be there blowing in my own voice. Um, I want to tell a story. And I want to 
from a selfish point of view, I want to tell a story that tries to unpick a little bit what human beings are like so I can understand them a bit better because I'm not very good at that. And um, So do you feel like for writing for you, is it's like a learning process for you? Mm, absolutely. And, you know, every time I write something new, it feels like for the first time I've there's no... I mean, I don't. I, I struggle with calling myself a writer because I, I don't know. You don't suddenly you don't publish a book and suddenly go, "There we are. I am a writer. Off we trot." Um, and yeah, I think it's just it's very difficult not to get swept away with it. I think for some people, but I find it so it's such a ludicrous thing. What you know, the thing that I do, and you know, the thing that you guys do is, is pretty mental. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But I have a similar thing where, like, with write, in writing a stand up show, it, it does, I do feel like I come to an understanding of where I am mm. and I come to an understanding about what I'm trying to learn, yeah, and what, what I'm trying to do. And like, I do see it as a learning process for myself, really, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I can empathize. Well, I, I like, I like the word. thing you were saying <laughs> there about you know, not saying who are the goodies and who are the baddies, mm. you know, always return to that, you know, that part of kind of you know, the road mm. where are, are, are we still the goodies, are we the baddies, yeah, what, yeah. what are, are we now? And that's, uh, I think, a very you know, some of the most interesting pieces. Well, that Paula Rago, when you were talking about her, and we should, mm. I didn't mean to say that Paula Rago, by the way, <laughs> that Paula Rago, uh, next door, yeah, I had creating an allegory the other day <laughs> in art, but um, but her, some of her paintings, you kind of once you are given a certain amount of information, you see sometimes devastating images mm. in terms of some of those ideas, I think, involving the uh, kind of uh, the, the fascist government in mm. the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. But um, others, you'd go, I still don't really know the intention of yeah. this dance yeah, or yeah. that human who's in the in the background in that particular image. And yeah. I think that all of that, that yes. bit which keeps luring you back to a character or an image, mm. that again, return to that uncertainty. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, it's like, it just shows how broad your relationship with different pieces of art can be because I think you want all different types of things at different moments in your life like sometimes you want to project where you are onto a piece of art and use it for whatever emotional reason you have or something like that and sometimes you want someone to like hit you over the head with a piece of art and and you know sometimes you can really really feel like knowing the intentions of that artist is very important and integral to understanding and then other times and it just you know it's all about richness of culture isn't it it's all about the fact that you you have different things that speak to you at different times that's very banal broad things to say but there we are I love to platitude <laughs> so um, I would oh, oh go on no no no, no, I, beg, uh, you. I but no you Oh, well, after you, Robin. <laughs> no, I wanted because I wanted to make sure because we, we last time we did one of these, we ran out of time to actually talk about the books that had affected you, and that was meant to be. So I wanted to, uh, who were was it a start in teenage times or when you were studying art? Mm-hmm. Uh, where were you turning to in terms of, of, of and, and who which were the books which which perhaps changed slightly your view of, of what it was to be in the universe? Well, when I was a kid, I was reading a lot of Stephen King um, and. I loved it, um, except for the ending, which, you know, has this terrifying monster which then has to turn into a spider. Yeah, I hated that bit. Feeds on the tears of children or whatever. So annoying. <laughs> I completely agree. I was really interested in the as well. Yeah. Um, and then I read uh, Cloud Street by Tim Winton when I was oh, about great. 13. Yeah, and that that was the first book to make me go like finish it and go, I want to I want to be Tim Winton so that I know what these people are doing. Because you didn't want the world of it to end. Yeah, I was just like, that cannot be the end. 
not because it didn't feel like a comfortable like resolution at the end of it but just because I was like I'm not ready for that to finish yes I love that and um and and then through writing discovered that that is absolutely not what happens you know like I get a lot of emails which are kind of like and what are they doing now but do you do you ever have that I mean with, with some of your characters do they remain with you and do you occasionally because I think that's a very difficult thing isn't it you, you are giving them a universe mm. with a very specific amount of time mm. with a certain narrative and a story to tell and how much do they I suppose their past exists with you because you're working mm. out why they are as they are but their future does it not really. I think that I mean they don't kind of they don't sort of age with me, but um, but there's so much deleted and edited out in in the novels that um, you know their kind of histories are much wider than than what appears in the book. So there are huge amounts of deleted scenes that kind of send them a slightly different way, and they're a slightly different person. So that kind of you know they do there is something beyond the book, but it's. Um, I don't know. I don't. People have been asking recently if I'm doing a sequel because the endings of my books are a little bit sort of ambiguous, and uh, and I'm not. But Do you think you ever would? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you live with. Um, so it takes me about four four years, and it's not that you're sick of them by the end, but you're just ready for something new. Yeah. Um, and again, not that you're sick of the subject matter, because I think. Right in my first book, I was like, right, by the end of this, I would have worked something out. I would have worked out the answer to a question and yeah. you get to the end, you go, like, <laughs> <laughs> haven't done that. But you're left with a lot more questions and, and that leads you off on a different avenue, I think. And I also think, uh, for me, you need to make things that are of the time and are belonging to where you are. Yeah. at that time like, yeah. and you need to get that out as quickly as possible mm. and then you can't really go back like whenever I've half finished something and thought oh no I'll finish that yeah, yeah. you know three years later you come back to it and you're like yeah. this isn't relevant to anyone yeah. goodbye well, you move on you, you become a different writer by the end of a novel to the one that you were at the beginning wow. because it's just like you're sort of meditating on something for that amount of time and you change and you know life happens around you so I just um uh, last year I published a graphic novel a uh, graphic memoir and um, I can't believe I didn't know this yet I'm so sorry <laughs> I should have bought a copy um, what, what's it called what's we could go and buy a copy probably from Gosh Comics which yeah, is could, only one block away from this <laughs> Hark at him with his block Hark <laughs> at Mr America <laughs> I have been there actually it's really? a little bit different quite <laughs> interesting <laughs> when you get a coffee there can I just get a coffee? Like anyway, <laughs> I can't. There's something about my accent which makes it impenetrable to Water. some people. Yeah, do I don't know what it is. Water. I don't know why. It's like I remember once being in a comedy club, and of course I was stuck in the front row, and they said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Robin." And they went, "Robin." We say Robin here. I said, "Robin, Robin." So, well, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, what's the title of your graphic? It's called. Um, it's called Everything Is Teeth, and it's about. Um, Growing up between Peckham and Australia, and a fascination with sharks. Um, yeah, it's funny because I wanted to. Ask, I was going to ask you. I was like, "Oh, have you ever thought about working visual art into your work?" <laughs> but you're ten well, steps ahead of me. I didn't do the drawing. One of the one of the people who made me realise at art school I was no good at drawing uh, has done the drawings. What's, <laughs> what's their name? The artist? Uh, Joseph Sumner, um, and he's like a model maker and um, illustrator. He makes 
like up to up to this point he's done like lots of drawings of pigeons huh. and um <laughs> how was the collaboration process it was weird it was great but it was very odd um because we're uh, we're very close friends but very different people so I'm always trying to please and he is the total opposite um, so I think it was quite useful like it wasn't like we sat every day and kind of you know worked through it and I didn't give I really trust his um, style and the way his brain works so I just give him a section of um, of text and then he would go away for a month draw some pictures come back then I'd respond to those pictures so yeah it started off as like a 3,000 word memoir and and now there's probably less than 400 words in it oh, that's so, good wow. yeah. that's a good breeze <laughs> yeah that's good do you so know what, what is oh no I'm sorry no, go on. do you know what's interesting to me is you saying oh you really like pleasing people but then if you look at your fiction it's almost the opposite it's like no I'm not going to please you yeah. I'm going to let this be like this You've got to let it out somewhere haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> you want to please some people you want to please the kind of people that you would like to please but the yeah. rest of them can go to hell yeah although um, that wouldn't ever happen face to face so like the bad question that I got in the in the book group I just spent the rest of the book group trying to make her like me what was the question kill with kindness yeah, do you know yeah. what I always try and kill with kindness and the most annoying thing is they never fucking die <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work does it what happened so what was the question the question was she well she said um, I couldn't get more than 20 pages into your book and I just wondered she, she started off by saying I don't want to be confrontational but so that's in parenthesis. Um, <laughs> um, and I just wondered, is that because you're a lazy writer or have you got some other excuse? <laughs> oh my. That's amazing. God. And it was like, I hate that person. <laughs> so that's kind of there with Lisa Dwan, who we had on a while ago, who is about to be in uh, Nose Knife at the Old Vic mm-hmm. and uh, is a tremendous Beckett actor. And when I went to see her in Toronto doing a really miserable trilogy of Beckett, the, the, mm-hmm. those ones with no humour, mm-hmm. the first question at the Q&A afterwards, this exhausted actor who has just, you know, done so... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what was I going to get from the first bit? Because uh, if it's that you can talk really quickly, well done. Uh, and I was like... And I could just see in her eyes, I thought, she's going to kill him. She, she, she's been touring this it has been killing her because it is so intense yeah. and you have so such a little little knowledge of what you come to see yeah. that you're now a bit oh, it's oh, uh, so little respect for her craft yeah is it just because you're lazy that is uh... <laughs> what did you say I just went, I spent about half an hour going um well the thing is uh, lots of other people write lots of other books and you could read those books instead and, 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 and smiley 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 and um, by the end of it kind of was just like oh that was pointless. Um, I, I think a curt no would have been <laughs> enough, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just talking about comic book memoirs, do you have, because one of my favourites is uh, Fun Home, mm. Alison oh, Bertram, which wonderful. I think is a fantastic uh, piece of work. And I forget now, the what's the, the sequel where she uh, talks about Are her regiment? Are You My Mother. Are You My Mother, yeah, which is... Uh, but Fun Home is, is, an, is, is <laughs> an incredible... Because uh, I think originally, wasn't, wasn't her first work she used to do a, a, a strip Dikes called Dykes to Watch Out for, yeah. Um, but that is, it really seems to help that it's a comic book. I think. Yeah. I, I think if that had just been a normal kind of novel, I yeah. wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah, but yeah. seeing it done, and I won't go too much into it, but it's basically about the relationship. Her father runs a funeral home. He has uh, various 
kind of um, well you have the revelations of the secret of your parents mm. that, that some people do discover yeah so do you have others that you you know when you were working on your own you thought oh mm. this is great because this yeah is this. my absolute favorite is stitches by David Small um, I don't know if you come across that I have but I haven't read it oh, and it's so incredible it's just brilliant it's about um, it's about a young boy who um, has a a father who's a surgeon and his mother is um it turns out later on um closeted lesbian and in the 50s and it's all kind of sad and just uh and um and they he has sinus problems and the treatment for that at the time was taking lots of x-rays so because his dad was a surgeon had access to a big x-ray machine so took loads of x-rays of david's throat and um and then a lump appeared and it's just it's amazing and it's just you're reading it going this cannot be a memoir this can't be real it's just amazing but it's so delicately done and so few words and so much space like there's so much space in the book it's like there'll be a page which is just a very faint watercolor drawing of a telephone pole and somehow you go oh my god yeah. Like you know, and you feel that's like the, the weight world. of that's years. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, so, do you, do you aspire to write more graphic novels? I'd love to. Um, comic books. Comic books, sure. Alan Moore rules. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I don't for me. I don't mean I, Alan Moore rules. That he does as well, but I also mean the rules of Alan Moore. I am not somebody who is snobby about comic books. Oh, so you are. Not. You're so <laughs> snooty. No, I just I used to be Which very of much like fuck superheroes. Has the cleverest words in it, please. <laughs> well, I definitely used to be like fuck superheroes, and now I'm like that's a silly opinion. <laughs> I have to admit, I do have a, a problem with that 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 genre. I just I find very rarely. I'm sure there are brilliant things out there. Uh, I just, yeah. it, it's one of those ones where I, until someone gives me a really great recommendation, uh, generally when I go into the comic shop, I go, that looks brilliant, that looks brilliant. I don't know if I'm going to like that one. Yeah. What's I, he been bitten by? <laughs> ah, it's a silly thing to be bitten by. I don't by. know if this really counts as superior, but Sega, have you read that? Or Saga? No. no. That's very good. It's like people with horns and another world. And, oh, that sounds um, good. You know, yeah, it's a great description. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, David Small, Alison Bechdel, um Oh, there are so many. But I, I do prefer memoir. And actually, this one that I bought today. I'm just uh, doing my favourite From Superdrug, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, that, or rather, so, that's your bookmark. Yeah. Your bookmark oh. of choice is Superdrug. Do not read the receipt, Josie. <laughs> that could go down into all manner of dangerous alleys. I read a great uh, comic book um, the other day, very much on brand, about the Paris Commune, uh, called The Red Virgin of Paris, I think. And I really recommend it because I didn't... I thought I knew about the Paris Commune. Like, if you said to me, what what do you think of the Paris Commune? I'd have been like, wow, they tried really hard to, like, set something up a bit more equitable. I had no idea how wildly progressive they were. Like, it's 1870, and they're lecturing about how marriage holds women back and how uh, everything that should be nationalised and, like, about free universities. It, you read it and you're like, that could be now. Mm. It's fascinating. It's, it's so cool and so inspiring. And also to think that, you know, 1870, it lasted 11 weeks, which is longer than I thought it did anyway, 10 weeks. Sorry, and then I was thinking about the Clyde Shipbuilders, which I'm kind of obsessed with, and about Red Clyde side, and about how that's kind of all erupting around uh, the turn of the 20th century up until the Second World War and just after, and that there would have been old geezers who were maybe 60, who were around that Clyde shipbuilding, who had a living memory 
of mm. news from the Paris Commune. And you sort of link things up like that. Anyway, it's a great graphic novel, really interesting, really enlivening and exciting. And times like these, you know, I just want to read about interesting figures I can be inspired from and the, the history of struggle and that kind well, of thing. You've become a big fan of Jimmy Reed since you found out that he managed to trump Kenneth Williams. Yes, from that so. brilliant. Oh, if you've listened back to one of our podcasts, I think you did talk a bit about the anecdote on one of the podcasts. It's such a funny story, and it? It's just yeah. a great story of, uh, again, that wonderful combination, which is, I think there's a battle now, but I think it can still happen. I was talking about this with a guy, Richard Boone, who uh, was involved in punk and with the Buzzcocks and is now a librarian in Stoke Newington. But we were talking about that thing where so many different artists including things like you know new wave and punk musicians mm-hmm. and uh and 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 the union leaders and all manner of people that there was not a fear of every now and again just dropping in whether you know it might be a little bit of John Clare you know whatever it was there isn't a fear of kind of you know poetry or philosophy or beautiful whereas now we have this kind of you know Trumpish situation of uh, I know the best words yeah. you know and that kind of and to very and I do think there is a real battle and I'm sure we get complaints for some people who don't like this podcast because I don't think you have to be ashamed of liking things that are good and took ages mm. to make sometimes yeah. it doesn't mean you have to that, that's that's very different to being pretentious if you actually like a thing mm. then it's not pretend yeah you're not just dropping yes, it it's in. not pretend yeah. um this is absolutely beautiful ros chast can't we talk about something more pleasant can you give us a little pressy well i've only read up to the super drug ticket but um but so far it seems to be about um a woman who's a single child and um she's grown up and moved out of brooklyn where her parents live and um, and has sort of slightly lost touch with them a little bit as kind of they've taken a back seat. She's got kids and whatever. And um, and then she starts to think they're getting older. I should go and make sure they're OK. And that they're this tight knit unit. And she's sort of talking about how when she left home at 16, she kind of got the feeling that they were relieved. Um, and it's not in a it's not really in a nasty way. It's just like they are too damaged people who cling together and it's very very funny um so far um it's just got a brilliant voice she's done yet some fantastic work mm. so that's ross chast uh, um now quick question are you working on something at the moment uh that you want to talk about, or, is or are it you just one of those people lazy. who goes, "Yeah, <laughs> I am." Um, what about just writing a lot of twenty-page books? <laughs> yeah, it would be much easier. Yeah, oh, I'm I don't like this. On... Oh, it's finished anyway. She's <laughs> got my money. She's got my bloody money. <laughs> I'm working on uh, a book which I have to deliver next August, um, and it is sort of very broadly based on my English grandmother, who was. Um, the daughter of the Dean of Windsor um, and depressed and an alcoholic, um, but also quite funny. <laughs> um, and she just had, she had an interesting life in that she was so bored by it that she kind of was a massive gin alcoholic and huh. she had an amazing brain and didn't do anything with it. Um, so it's about that and witches. I think and is. witches, oh, yes. brilliant! You should meet Darren Amon. He likes witches too. Really? Yeah, I've got a witch in my new show. Have you have got a witch. Yeah. You did some lovely witch work when we were at Latitude. Yeah. Um, that that yeah. brings us to the end. The uh, we've run out. So, Evie, are there also places where people can? Uh, do you have a website? I do. Yep, it's eviewild.com. That's wild with a Y. That is. 
so um, thank you very much for joining us. And the, uh, we should say as well that I'm going to plug it again. Uh, I know I mentioned this at the end of another podcast, depending on the order in which they go out. But Barry Crimmins is playing the Leicester Square Theatre. Uh, I think it's the second weekend of September. I'll also recommend uh, Josie Long's written a fabulous ghost story uh, for a new collection called Dead Funny Encore by Salt Publishing. Uh, that sounds which... great, but where can people purchase that Well, collection? go to the Salt Publishing website or just go to a bookshop. They should now be available bookshop also stories by uh, Stuart Lee Alice Lowe Rufus Hound and James Acaster and one by me and edited by me and Johnny Maines so uh, Dead Funny Encore is now available and uh, do you want to start the the credits as well this thank you very much to everyone who supports us on Patreon that these uh, there will always be free access to these if you don't have the money to uh, uh, subscribe or pledge anything obviously and we also for the subscribers uh, we will be creating lots of ones that are, are free so you don't pay every time that we create a podcast so we'd like to say thank you to John Rennie who I think I speak to on Twitter uh, Rory Williams who again I think I speak to on Twitter Craig nice surname <laughs> you know who you are Nathaniel Enigmatic Metcalf Enigmatic Craig Nathaniel Metcalf is very kind of him because he's going to guest on one of he's ours as well yep. Rob Abram Joe Turner Michael Sanders and as well as Michael Sanders, there's also Richard Freeman, Kenzie Trail, I think. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I pronounce that. Tom Pugh, Samantha Wallace, Constance McKenzie, Lucy McNeary, Jonathan McRoberts. Thanks. Uh, in October, pardon me, I'll be premiering my new show in the Soho Theatre called Something Better. Which I'm very pleased with that title. And also me and my friend Johnny are writing a show about love and I think it's going to be really good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Evie. Thank you, Josie. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. So that is the end of season three of Book Shambles. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we still have a few extra specials to put up from the Latitude Festival with guests like uh, Mark Watson and Rufus Hound. And we've also got a few extra episodes coming up that are exclusive for our Patreon supporters and subscribers. So you can go to cosmicgenome.com slash shambles and that's where you can become a Patreon supporter or subscriber if you'd like to. And it's also where you'll find all the old episodes from seasons one, two and three plus all the complete reading lists from those episodes. So that's when everyone from Stuart Lee and Sarah Pascoe and Chris Hadfield and Ronnie LeDrew and Izzy Sooty and Lisa Dwan and everybody else. So look out for the Latitude specials and then we're going to have a week or two off and then we'll be back with season four with a whole heap of new and amazing guests. Thanks very much for listening and supporting us. Bye. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.